You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So I want to welcome you and welcome in our online community who are joining us either watching now live or watching when this is archived and listening in on the audio when this is archived. But we're so glad that all of you are here with us. And for those of you who I haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Jay and I'm the lead pastor here. And there's just a couple things we want to cover together before we dive fully into God's word. And the first is I want to talk just very briefly about Coronavid-19, right? Um, There is a lot of fear surrounding this virus that is a member of the flu family. And um, obviously we want to encourage you in the midst of the fear and, um, you know, what's going on with this, that you get good facts, that you get good information. And of course, we want to use this as an opportunity to talk about making common sense, common practice. When we are here together and gathered together, it's always wise for you to wash your hands if you've been shaking hands with people or whatever. We are huggers and handshakers around here. We do that. And if you don't want someone to shake your hand or hug you, that is okay. And just by personality, there are some of us, we don't want other people touching us. That's perfectly fine. Um, do what's, what's best for you with that, but uh, understand that that's kind of how we roll around here. And by all means, if you are sick, with blessing, guilt-free, stay home. You don't have to come if you're feeling sick. In fact, please don't. In fact, one of the amazing blessings that we have now is we can come to you live like we are for a number of people right into your home here on Sunday morning. And it's, it's fascinating to me every, um, every weekend now that we've had our live stream, the number of people who are sick who are writing in saying, man, I feel terrible, but I'm watching the live stream. And that's, that's awesome. That's in part what it's for. So please take advantage of that and please, please do that. And just so you know, we have an outstanding facility crew here. They so get it. They always keep this place well taken care of and well maintained, well cleaned. They are even upping their efforts. We're cleaning light switches and doorknobs and all sorts of stuff on a continual basis now, doing our best to make sure that if not COVID-19, certainly the flu is going around and a number of you have had that. There's just a bunch of bad bugs always going around this time of year. So some common sense, let's make it common practice and that's where we're at. And we're a long ways from this, but if we do get to the point that um, our local government said, you know, we want you to stop gathering in large groups like morning worship services. Okay, then the production team and I will drag ourselves in here, even if we're sick, and we'll shoot something live stream, just like we're doing. We'll come to you, okay? So we're going to continue to get to worship together. But just wanted to put that out there for you. Now, one more thing, and that is take out your phone if you haven't taken it out already. And please go to gracecc.net, our website. Open your browser and go ahead and get there. And if you were gone last week, you missed us telling you that we have been in the midst of over a year of redesigning our website and changing a number of things about it, especially looking at it through the lens of the guest. And our website primarily is designed for a guest. And we've tried to think that through and populate that with information and configure that in such a way that it's designed just for that. Now, certainly there's functionality for you who call Grace Home and we want you to use it, but if you'll note on the screens behind me, if you'll go down to the bottom of our website, there's a a button there, a hyperlink to um, our mobile app. 
And that is what we have designed specifically for you as someone who worships at Grace and calls Grace home. If you have not downloaded this, we strongly encourage you to do so. A number of you already have, and that's great. But with the rollout of our new website, we are also rolling out a brand new upgrade to our app. We've hopefully repopulated it with even more helpful information. We've been listening to you as um, this has been launched the last couple years. And so that is hopefully better for you. And this is what it looks like. It will have our current sermon series um, branded there at the top. But literally, by way of example, anything that we invite you into is we invite you into deeper community, like by way of example, the Overcome class that Pastor Jerry just introduced us to. You can register for this literally from your phone or from our website. So no more, hey, go find Pastor Jay and tell him you're interested or, you know, go sign this. Just take out your phone. Literally anything we do here now, you can register for on your phone or on our website, as well as all the other things that are there as well. Listening to sermons. Um, If you're not here and you want to continue to give to the mission and vision here, you can do that online. There's just all sorts of things that are hopefully helpful for you. Just wanted to let you know about that. So let's switch gears now. And let's prepare to dive into God's word. And as I was preparing for our time today, uh, today I was reminded of um, something from my background that I think kind of sets the table for where we're going to go. It's okay, Yankee fan. You're welcome here too. We're all about unity in Christ. Um, but as many of you know, my dad was a construction superintendent, and we moved all over the state. We would land somewhere for four to five years and then move when he went on to his next big project. And one of the places that we lived was Bend, and I loved living in Bend. Um, winters with snow and just all sorts of stuff. But what I loved most about Bend was where our house was located. Our gate literally opened up to a baseball field and a park. So that really was my backyard. So I I know this is going to sound really foreign and really date me, and some of you are going to ask yourselves legitimately, "How, how old is this guy? But when I was a kid, there were no computers, there were no cell phones, there were not the electronics that we have. When you played with your friends, you really did go outside and play with your friends. And so when you got home from school, when I got home from school, I'd make a circuit of our neighborhood and see who was out and ready, and we'd gather all our friends together, and we'd play baseball. And that's where I learned to play baseball, was on that baseball diamond. And so we'd have these pickup games all the time, and usually there were enough of us that we could have two full teams. And so the way things always went was the two biggest kids, the two oldest kids, the two best baseball players were always the team captains, and they'd have the rest of us line up on this line. And it was a love-hate relationship with that line. Because if you were chosen first, there was an honor, there was a recognition that went with that. Your status immediately elevated in that line of kids. But if you were chosen last, as sometimes happened to me, that was not a place you wanted to be. Because the meta message there was, No one really wants you. And sometimes, literally, it would be said by kids on the team or even by the team captain, okay, well, we're we're stuck with you, so come on over and join us. Because being on a baseball team was all about performance. I mean, what can you do for me? How good of an athlete are you? How are you going to contribute to the team? And unfortunately, there are folks who construe being on God's team, or to put this even more directly, to be in God's family the same way. It's based on performance. 
Are you a good enough person? Are you doing this? Are you not doing that? When really, at the heart of the gospel, it's not about God saying, what can you do for me? It's really about, what have I done for you? And how are you going to respond? Because you see, you enter into this family, you proverbially join this team, not by what you do, but by how you respond to what Jesus Christ has done for you through his death, burial, and resurrection from the cross. And the basis for entering this family is all about belief. Will you respond by believing with what God has done for you? And that's called grace. God's unmerited, unearned favor given to us for the sake of relationship and for empowerment to serve him and others. That's basically what grace is. That's how you get on God's team. You believe. You respond to what he's done for you. That's all you got to do. But here's the deal. And this is where Paul is now going in this letter in Galatians with what we're coming to today. When you have, quote unquote, joined his team, when you have chosen to believe in him through a right relationship with Jesus Christ, by inviting Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit into your life, your life now changes. And do you and I truly appreciate what it means to be a part of the family of God? Well, now Paul's going to help us understand just that. He's going to begin to unpack for us the benefits and the blessings of being a child of God. This probably has 30 sermons swimming around in it. We're going to settle for one this morning. And what we're about to talk about is life-changing, literally. And it is amazing. And we get to go there together. So if you have a Bible, if you haven't already, open to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to dip back into last week's passage because this is a continuation of thought. So we'll start at verse 23. Matt, I'm going to entrust my bat and hat to you. Don't hit anyone with it. And don't hit me with it, even though you probably sometimes feel like it. And we're going to go there together. So we'll put this up on the screens as we always do. And we'll walk through this together. What does it mean, at least in part, to be a child of God? Here we go. So Paul says, before the coming of this faith, when we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed, so the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now this faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to to the promise. Now let's back up and look at what he says here because it's very important for us to understand. He says that the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, was our guardian. And this is a really interesting word in the original language and it really does add definitive flavor to this. This word brings the idea of a prison guard. Or even more so, it brings the idea or the flavor of a bad babysitter. And this is what I mean by that. How many of you growing up ever had a harsh or unfair babysitter? 
Ever happened to you? Boy, it sure happened to me. Now, I eventually forgave my older sister, but <laughs> just kidding. It wasn't her. And I don't even definitively remember this babysitter's name. I think it was Marie. But when I was a little kid and my parents went out together, um, she came and would babysit us, and she was harsh. She, she made up rules that my parents didn't have, and she enforced the rules my parents did have very unfairly and unequitably. She was way over the top. Boy, we were really glad when my parents came home and she left. I can tell you that. And in this culture, the guardian was like a harsh babysitter especially in more wealthy families that could afford to do this, there was a trusted servant or a trusted slave who was responsible to follow that adolescent around until they reached puberty, and their job primarily was to guard them, to guide them, and to discipline them. They weren't necessarily their tutor. There was another role for that in the wealthier families. They weren't necessarily a surrogate parent. There was also another role for that in the wealthier families of that culture. But this person was primarily the disciplinarian. So how do you think kids felt when they finally reached puberty, reached semi-adulthood, and no longer needed a guardian? Pretty doggone happy. This was not the person you invited over for Super Bowl. You were glad to see them leave your life and stay out of it. And that really is the flavor and the vibe of what Paul is talking about here. And he, in fairness, he uses all sorts of metaphors and explanations for what the law did. And he's not saying the law was bad, but he is saying this was one of the purposes of the law. To prepare us and guide us for what we really wanted and needed. And that was freedom. He says it was like the law was imprisoning us because it was never designed to fulfill us or to free us. It always pointed to that which would, and that was a savior. There was one who would come, who would give us the freedom that we all long for and have been created for. The law was intended to point us towards this need for an inside-out transformation through this savior who would fulfill all the promises of God, who would grant us the freedom we were looking for. But you're not automatically part of this family. You don't automatically step into this. There is something that has to happen, and that is you have to be adopted. Are you adopted? I am. Not in my birth family, but in my spiritual family. You see, the reality here is we don't enter the kingdom of God. We don't enter into right relationship with God. We don't someday enter into heaven as a group. It is a single file line based on personal relationship with God the Father through his son, Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit. And no one starts out there. You have to choose to respond by believing in the grace that God gives each one of us. This outside-in transformation that we really are looking for, that he wants to freely give us, but you gotta make it your own by believing it. That's what you quote-unquote have to do in order to enter into the family of God. At that point, you become adopted. 
into his family. And to make his point, once again, Paul reaches back 500 years to Abraham and says, you know what? It's always been like this. Paul, earlier in this letter in chapter 1, also says, I am saved by grace. I wasn't born into this by my ethnicity. I was born into this spiritually by responding to what God has done for me by believing. And this has always been the basis for right relationship with God, Old Testament to New, believing through faith and then trusting and obeying as, as a result. So this necessarily begs the question, whose family are you a part of? Are you a part of this family? Have you taken that defining moment step of choosing to believe and receive Jesus Christ into your life as your God so that you can be adopted into his family? Because once you do, one of the most powerful things about this is your identity changes. Once again, he underscores that you become a child of God, you are adopted into his family through faith, but then he says the proof of that is baptism. A couple weeks ago, we had a number of people baptized here at Grace. And baptism always symbolizes, always shows the inward transformation that has already happened by someone entering into right relationship with God by believing in Jesus Christ. And he basically says, if you want proof of this, think about when you were baptized. Think about what that was emphasizing, what that was symbolizing, what, what that was declaring. That your selfishness, your, your brokenness, what the Bible calls sin, where we all start out apart from Christ, that is washed away. That's, that's forgiven. That really is your true identity, and that's exactly what this is all about. It is about identity, not inadequacy. And that's so fundamentally important for us to remember because we live in a world where a very broken culture is constantly trying to shape our identity. We have an adversary by the name of Satan, the evil one, who wants to constantly call you back to your inadequacies, call me back to my selfishness, my sinfulness, my brokenness. He lumps all that together and says, that's who you really are. No, it's not. But so often we buy into that. In fact, Paul is now gonna elevate this to a place that quite possibly might have made those who were reading this letter back in the day, hundreds of years ago, thousands of years ago rather, in the first century, they might have stopped and caught their breath when they first heard this letter read to them, in this part in particular. Because he goes on to say this, you were all sons of God. Now let's unpack that for just a minute. In the New International Version, which is what I've just been using and what we primarily use here at Grace, it translates this, you are all children of God. That is absolutely valid, that is absolutely right. But another way, and a more specific way this can be translated, and the English Standard Version, which I put up here, does this, says you are all sons of God. Now, lady, ladies, let me make a case with you, okay? This is a corporate image that is very deliberately applied to men and women when it comes to how we stand to our status in the family of God. This might even sound a little offensive to you, but you have to understand what this meant in that culture at that time. And here we go. In that culture, women could not vote, 
Women could not testify in court. Women could not own property. Women could not inherit property. That was the place of men and primarily of the oldest son in the family when it comes to inheritance. The oldest son was the one who received the preponderance of the inheritance. In fact, there are still cultures today, I just talked with someone from another culture who is explaining, yeah, that's how it still happens in our culture. There's still cultures like that that function today. So now, let's take that for what Paul is putting it here for. Our culture doesn't roll like that. But what's significant about that is what it meant to be a son of God, not just because you would be getting the inheritance as the oldest son in particular, but in that culture as well, if you did not have children and you were getting along in years, you quite literally could and did adopt another adult male to be your son, to be your heir. And when that happens, all the debts that that person had accrued were instantly paid, excused, canceled, because they had now come into your family as your son. And all the benefits, all the wealth, all the inheritance was now placed on that person. It was a life-changing decision that happened in someone's life. If they were adopted into another person's family as the oldest son, And that is what Paul is trying to get at here. Men and women, if you've been adopted into God's family, you have all the privileges, all the benefits of the oldest son. Now, in fairness, men and women are sons of God. Men and women are also the bride of Christ. In Revelation 19, guys like me who are adopted into the Son of God are also his bride. So Paul is very even-handed in using these gender-specific metaphors to apply to all of us corporately. So don't be offended by that because it is meant to convey a life-changing event that happens when you're adopted into the family of God. Your sins are forgiven. The selfishness and brokenness that we all start out in apart from Christ is now forgiven those debts are canceled and you get all the benefits of what it means to be a child of God. And what does that practically, tangibly look like? It means you're a son. But even more so, it means this as children of God. You have a new identity now. You're no longer defined by your past brokenness, past mistakes, but also past sin and selfishness. There is a new intimacy with Christ a profound intimacy, a God who wants to know you and me and be so connected to us intimately, he literally comes and lives inside of us through his Holy Spirit. And because of that, he gives us new life. You have a new identity, you have new values, you have new motives. The blessing, the joy, the purpose, the happiness, the success, whatever label you wanna put on it that you and I were looking for in broken and selfish ways, that would come at the expense of other people or that would wrong other people or even God, we no longer have to look for those things in those empty ways that temporarily satisfy. We are now rich in Christ because we're acceptable to him. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done by adopting us into his family. It's unbelievable. It's amazing. But that's not all. He goes on. He points out that we are now called to live through the Spirit 
not to gratify our selfishness and our, and our sinful nature. And in that passage, if you'll remember, he uses this analogy of clothes. Remember, he said, clothe yourself with Christ. And this is one of Paul's most favorite analogies. He uses it frequently in his letters. So, why? What does it mean to be clothed with Christ? And I think there's a lot of layers to this. So let's try to run with this and unpack some of it. So this is one of my favorite sweatshirts. And you probably can't see it from here. You could probably see that it's a U of O sweatshirt, of course. But it's got grease on it and paint. Yeah, and I noticed when I brought it in here this morning, it's got a hole in the back. Never saw that before. And the collar is frayed. And, and Beaver fan, I do own a Beaver shirt, just so you feel better. It's a shop rag. I use it when I service. <laughs> I use it when I service my cars. Just kidding. Kinda. But I love this shirt. But you'll never see me wear it around here. Because it's dirty and it's torn and it's frayed and as comfortable as it is, it's not real great. And God, throughout his word, but especially in the New Testament, as Paul was doing in our very passage, describes how we live our lives in the analogy of clothes. And so often, we put on the old clothes of our past, and we allow those clothes to define us, Though that dirty laundry of brokenness, of selfishness, of shame, of guilt, you fill in the blank. And basically what he's saying is, don't do that. You have new clothes to wear. And I think one of the parts of this analogy is that he refers to clothes because what's the closest thing to you? Your, your clothes, and where do you go everywhere? And what do you go everywhere with, I guess is a better way to say that. Well, hopefully you're wearing clothes, right? So, and there's, I'm sure, other dimensions to this reality. And he's not necessarily saying, boy, living the spirit-led life is just as easy as changing your clothes. I don't think that's the point, but I do think the point is our identity very much shapes how we live our lives, and it should. But it greatly matters what voices we're listening to, what identity we're subscribing to, what identity we're buying into. So once again, it begs this necessary question of you and me. What clothes are you wearing today? Do they reflect, does your behavior, your values, your motives reflect who you are as God's adopted child? as his son, as his daughter? Because too often we let circumstances or culture or what other people think not only shape our identity but dictate who we are and it's absolutely not what we have to settle for. You no longer have to settle for that. And one of the clearest expressions of this is in how we do life together. Do you realize with what Paul is saying here, he is identifying and dismantling everything that would divide people in that culture. 
He's saying you all have the same spiritual standing in Christ with all the benefits and all the privileges that come with that. All of us. And he says that's true for men and women. But he says that's true for Jews and non-Jews. He says that's true for those who are enslaved and those who are freed. And Sean, next week, will help unpack more of that whole slavery freedom thing for us because Paul will develop that more with what he says to make his point here in the verses that follow. But in the family of God, the divisiveness of ethnicity is completely nullified. Social prejudices are neutralized. And gender equalities are negated. He basically says here, Education, economics, ethnicity, all those things that our culture tends to use as division points, he says, no, no, you are all one in Jesus Christ. It's beautiful, it's powerful, and it's who we really are as the family of God. Many of you know that the service that follows this one, our third service, is in Spanish, Comunidad de Gracia is our Hispanic ministry that we have here at Grace. And we are continually seeking ways to to do life together, to live out this unity together. About a year and a half ago, we commissioned a cultural integration team um, populated with folks from our Comunidad leadership and, and our leadership of these two morning services And they did a bunch of research and work because we're driving off the map with this. We're trying to figure out together what does it look like really to do life together. And one of the really fundamental points that they came back with in their recommendations to us, and many thanks, by the way, to Dr. Susan Sloan and those who were a part of that team and did all that work for us on our behalf, was that everyone agreed, we're not looking to eliminate the differences between us, but we are looking for those unity points, those community points where we can do life together. And that really captures the spirit of what Paul is talking about here. Unity does not mean uniformity. Never has. The two are very different. Unity recognizes and celebrates and appreciates differences, but unity also though celebrates and looks for and pursues deeper community. And that's so important for us to remember. Because what he's not saying here is that we're all the same. Because we're not. And that really is okay. Because we live in a culture that in its brokenness is seeking to say everything is the same. There are no differences. And that simply is not reality and it's not true. By way of example, when it comes to us as men and women, when the Bible talks about dads and fathers, it's talking about men. And when the Bible, God's word, talks about wives and mothers, it's talking about women. They are not the same. And that's a good thing. We are equal, but but we're different. And last night, it doesn't usually roll this way, thankfully, or I would have more gray hair than I normally have. But at about 11 o'clock last night, I ran across something on the news cycle that I think really captures what it means, these realities that we've been talking about and what it especially means to be adopted into the family of God. So this is what this says. The headline is, Foster Dad Adopts a Boy 
who was abandoned at his hospital by his parents. And this is the picture of the boy who we're going to be talking about. This is Tony. Tony's trip through childhood has not been an easy one. He knows nothing about his birth parents and became a foster kid at the age of two. At four years old, he was adopted by a couple from Oklahoma. But after he turned 11, his adoptive parents dropped him off at the hospital and never came back. He was abandoned. That's where Peter Mutabazi from Charlotte, North Carolina comes in. He had been fostering children for about three years. And when he received a call about Tony, he decided to take him in. He's the nicest, smartest kid I've ever had, Mutabasi told Good Morning America. It was just supposed to be for a weekend, and this picture was taken the very night, that weekend that Tony temporarily was taken into Mutabasi's home. But when Mutabasi learned of Tony's story, he knew what he had to do. He said, by that time, I was crying I thought, who could do this to a child? So once I knew the parents' rights were signed off and he had nowhere to go, I knew I had to take him in. And two years later, they made it official and permanent. And this is a picture. Mutabasi adopted Tony, and they could not be happier. And I want you to listen to what Tony says. I was chosen. I was wanted. I was cherished, I grew in his heart, I was the missing piece, and I am loved today. Isn't that a picture of what your heavenly Father has done for you and me? For those of us who have chosen to be adopted by him by believing in him? No one here is the leftovers. No one here is the last one picked because you weren't wanted. You're the first one picked, and so am I. Despite the brokenness and selfishness that I gravitate back to that was the core of my life until I was adopted by God, he still loves me. So you and I could reasonably say the exact same thing. I was chosen. I was wanted. I was cherished. I grew in his heart. I was the missing piece. And I'm loved today. So, whose family are you in? Have you chosen to believe and be adopted by this father who loves you and who will never leave you? Because if you have, you will have some new clothes to wear in terms of your behavior, your choices, your motives, what you believe. And you know how we'll know that? By how you love your God and by how we love one another. And that's what we're gonna sing about now together. So let me pray for us as we do so. Lord, we sing this next song and we really sing all these songs to celebrate the spiritual realities of what you have done for us. Thank you that you have chosen us, that you love us, you cherish us, you pursue us, you come after us when we have nothing to offer you. 
and you invite us into your family to be adopted by you. And thank you, God, you will never abandon us. You will never leave or forsake us. You are the perfect, loving Father, and because you have loved us, now we can love you and love one another. So would we do just that as we sing and celebrate the amazing God you are and what your love does in Jesus' name. Amen. So God, once again, is inviting you into his family to be adopted in as his son or as his daughter. And that's not something you need anyone's help to do. You need God's help to do, but you respond to that help by receiving what he wants to give you, by saying, I believe. And that's more than just buying into that mentally. When you make that choice, you're really saying, I'm all in. I'm gonna follow you with my life. But any one of us here would love to pray that prayer with you. If you would like, please come talk to me. We have prayer teams off to the side, the person who brought you. I'm not exaggerating. There is no more important decision you could ever make in your life than to become his son or daughter. It is the most important decision you can make for life now and for the life that will follow. And like I mentioned earlier, Paul uses this idea, this analogy of clothing to describe what it means to live in this new identity. And I'd like to leave this with you. It's one of my favorite passages out of Colossians. This is Colossians 12, uh, 3, 12 through 14. It says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So let me pray his blessing over you. God, I thank you for each person who is here. I thank you for those who will be listening um, online or watching online. Lord, would you reach into all of our hearts and would you help us to believe? Help us to love you the way you have loved us. And Lord, each day after we've made that defining moment decision, would we choose to believe in you all over again and to follow you with where you lead us? Thank you for this sweet time we've had to pursue you and to grow together in you. And as we go from here, thank you for the reality that we don't leave here alone. You go with us through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. We look forward to seeing you next week. Go and live for him. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.